uh, Nick. I'm joined by my brother Andy here. This will be episode three of the Wheel Take Selling podcast. This episode is just a continuation of the series reviews of round one of week two. Um, and uh, before we get into it again, thank you for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Um, and, and we continue to, to love to listen to hear your feedback from what you have to say and all the input you have. We really do appreciate it. Uh, getting started, I don't know which series you want to uh, review first um, of the ones that have ended so far. I think there have been four that have just ended, and I don't know if you want to start with one particular. So I'll, I'll hand it off to you if you want to, Ann. Um, yeah, I didn't really have any in particular to talk about. Um, just going back to last night's scoreboards, the first one on the list is Penguins Islanders, if you want to start there. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, um Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, betting, hearing people say don't bet against um, Malkin and Crosby, I think those days are over. Um, I just listened to a re- review of that game six, and I believe in their last 13 games, last 13 playoff games, they've lost 10 of them. Uh, I think that was the stat. I could be wrong. Um, but regardless, their last playoff series win was, I think, round one in 2018 when they beat the Flyers and I want to say, six games. Like, that was their last series win. And that was three years ago. They, have, they lost in the second round against Washington and uh, haven't had success since. So I, I think that, you know, if you're going to say, like, don't bet against Crosby and Malcolm when it comes playoff time, I think that that's gone and faded away. And I know that you... And possibly I, I don't know in particular, but I, I believe that you or maybe I said that the Pittsburgh Penguins weren't going to make the playoffs this year. Um, or maybe that was one of our last year's predictions. But I think that that time is coming, to be honest with you. And I, I don't know where you, you land on that, but I got to be honest. I, I, I think that Pittsburgh is, is, you know, Olympus is falling here. Hmm. Nah, I definitely agree. Going back to that statement, you know, don't bet against Crosby, don't bet against uh, Malkin in the playoffs. Yeah, that ship is totally sailed, dude. It, it was last night uh, during the waning minutes, maybe like 11, 10 minutes left in the game. Um, actually, probably closer to like six minutes left in the game. But in that general window of time, I was just sitting there going, okay, uh, you know, Crosby's going to tie this up. Crosby and Malkin will will this team to an, an overtime, you know, no doubt kind of thing. Um, but that never happened, obviously. So I do agree with you. I think that, that the ending of last night's game kind of uh, reassured that to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, Olympus is, is definitely falling, dude. It's... Um, you know, they've had goaltender issues or at least like consistent goaltending problems since, um, you know, when is it their champion, their championship? Is it not everybody's most recent yeah. championship has knocked them off the top besides uh, Tampa? Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, is now like all these Penguins fans are coming back and they're probably thinking like we should have kept Murray. Or, sorry, not Murray, Flurry. We should have kept Flurry. 
um, because Jari and Murray didn't do it for you. And I don't know where the Smith went. I thought he had a pretty good season uh, this season, but you know, I guess they either wanted him to keep wanted to keep him down in the AHL or or continue developing him. But uh, goaltending is definitely an issue. But I think the bigger scope, it's more than just goaltending. It's I think even the offense too. Um, you can't keep relying on Crosby and Malkin and even Guznetzel and Rust to to be your consistent performers. You know, you got to get that depth scoring, um, and they just weren't getting that. Kapanen was silent this series. Uh, Zach Aston Reese was silent. And I'm not saying that, you know, your bottom six should be uh, playoff performers, but certainly a little bit more um, – a little bit more input than what we saw in this series. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, dude, go back to that game that we talked about, I think, last week. You know, we said if Jeff Carter starts stepping up, if he starts populating on the score sheet, uh, it might get Crosby going. If both of them are going on the score sheet, then we really thought that they could do something. And they literally did that last week. Um, I think that night we recorded that, I think Crosby and Jeff Carter ended up with goals. Um, I know at least Jeff Carter was involved in, in a goal. It might have even been game winning. Uh, but like case in point right there, when they get those guys going, it, it gets that rhythm among the guys going and, and they kind of fall back into their playoff ways. Crosby, uh, Carter, Malkin, they, they start looking like they did you know, when that phrase that you alluded to earlier first was being thrown around. Uh, so, and like you said, you know, besides those guys, though, everybody's been quiet. And last night was such a thrill to watch because I just thought it was going to be blow for blow all night. And it was turning out to be that way. And then that third goal uh, by the Islanders really almost, I don't know about you, but even though it was like tit for tat three, you know, and that was the third time that third tit for tat that New York matched them with, I think it kind of gave them the the push that they needed to get over that lip and uh, really just smother out Pittsburgh after that. And shortly after that third goal, they buried that, that fourth goal. I think it was like 13 seconds after that. And you could just completely feel the the tides shifting, and um, and I thought I think that was during the second, and I and and I thought during the third they were going to come out and you know uh, they were going to get a nice talk from Sullivan. I thought Crosby was going to do something. I thought he was going to turn on that, um, you know, that superstar um, drive for another championship kind of thing. But it never really amounted, you know. No, it, it didn't. And I know I was critical of Sullivan to you. I texted you once the Islanders scored their fourth, which I think was that goal that uh, came 13 seconds after the third. Um, I, I was I was basically begging Pittsburgh to take a timeout, and they didn't. Um, they decided to take a timeout after they gave up a, another goal, making it 5-3. And at that point, I thought, it's too late. You know, you're, you're down two with a Barry Trotz New York Islanders team that is – the poster child for being a team that shuts it down when they have a lead, whether it's one goal, two goals, however many goals they're leading by, that's a team you're not going to be able to, to crawl your way back to tying it and possibly winning the game. Um, 
to be honest, I think when the Islanders scored their fifth goal, I was like, yeah, this is this is over. I, I think in the back of my mind, I was just like, all they have to do is just make sure Crosby and, and Carter and those guys don't get on the board and they're going to be smooth sailing through the, the rest of this game because, I don't know, I, I just feel like that, I felt like that took the uh, sails right out of the Pittsburgh Penguins. It, um, they never really seemed to calm down after that. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the, the timeout by Sullivan after the fifth goal, I think, was very questionable on his part. He should have done it after the fourth because, you know, you, you rally your guys after just being down one. You're just down one. It's like, you know, take it easy, guys. You know, we're down by one. Crowd's getting to us. You know, we just got to settle down here and, and we'll get back to it. And, uh, you know, he didn't. And the Islanders went on to, to win this series. Uh, and now they'll be facing the Bruins. Yeah, I actually, um, real quick, I have that text that you mentioned. I was going to. They got to call a timeout or pull this guy, man. One or the other. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, but that was uh, that was you. Is, uh, and that was the text that you were alluding to. It was actually an audio clip. And yeah, my best. It was spot on, man. It, uh they, they, they. You're right. I think they needed to do one or the other, and I don't think they did either. And and um, it really kind of slipped out of their hands at that point in the game. I remember that pretty vividly last night. But yeah, moving on. Yeah, moving on. It was a good segue. Um, they'll be facing the Bruins, which gets me into the uh, Bruins and Cap series. We'll just go there next. Um, honestly, like I think we mentioned last week, just disappointed in the way the Caps played this series. The first game really looked like it gave a lot of confidence in the team. Like, okay, they can handle the Bruins. That's It's tough competition because I know a lot of people like to say that Boston is top-heavy because they have Marshan, Postonark, and Bergeron. And but, Taylor uh, Hall now. And Taylor Hall now, yeah. And even DeBrusque, you know, for as much as he's scoring. Um. But I just felt like, you know what, that, that's pretty good. I'm glad to see they won game one, and uh, it's good to win at home. But after that, they just they really didn't look like the, the right team. They didn't look involved. They didn't look interested. They almost just were like, I, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I watched some of these games, you know, game three and four, I think, um, both went to overtime, if I remember. And they, they just seemed like when the overtime hit, especially the one that went to double OT the first overtime, I swear the Capitals only had like three or four shots and um, Bruins had like 16 or, or somewhere around there. Like you could clearly tell that Boston was going to win that game. And, you know, I think a lot of people were like, Oh, Samsonov, And, you know, he wasn't playing well. And uh, he had that blunder in overtime, the double overtime that gave Craig Smith the, uh, the goal. Um, honestly, it was just like it was a misplay, but Schultz, I mentioned it last week. Schultz was stuck in no man's land. You know, the guy was he looked behind him. He saw Craig Smith. He saw nobody was around him. Either you just hold on to the puck or you whip it up the boards and hope someone gets it. But you don't do what you did and just let Craig Smith, you know, skate right by you, pick it up and plop, pop it right into the net. Um, you know, this team just didn't look good from the start after game game one. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, game one, definitely. I, I really got those, uh, you know, Washington's returning to their podium feel. Uh, it wasn't a whole lot 
I'll admit, but it, it was at least something there for Washington. And yeah, from that, from game two on, I think, because I think Boston kind of snuck one there. Game two, I think Boston kind of snuck away with that. Uh, and even similarly, I think they did that in game three. And I think those two punches to the gut in in Washington kind of wrote, you know, wrote the story from that point on. As you said, guys didn't look, you know, like they were like their heads were really in it. I mean, Ovi, Ovi specifically was, you know, very visually aggravated and frustrated at times. Um not just, you know, it wasn't just like here and there either during games. It was a good amount of, of on-air frustration from him, which is, he's a passionate guy, I get. But that level of frustration, I don't know about you, but I just don't remember it being there. Like, um, even, you know, even in our f- series that that year that they got knocked out in the first round, the year after they won their championship. I didn't see that from them. I didn't see that level of aggravation, uh, specifically with Alexander Ovechkin. So it was that um, you mentioned the, you know, the blunder goal there in uh, whatever overtime. I think it was game three. I think only the first three games went to OT, not the fourth one. But um, there was another play, and I texted you about this, and it was in the last game of the series. I didn't make a note of when it happened, and I'm a little upset with myself. But there was a moment when Ovi was standing in front of the net, kind of, you know, uh, in a little closer than than his office typically is. Um, But he's still in that, you know, right at the edge of of the circle there. And he's doing, you know, what he does. He's standing there waiting for, you know, a one-timer, basically. And a shot from the opposite corner comes flying in on net. And it trickles out right underneath his stick. And because he's a guy who stands with his stick at waist level, he just, like, you know, he spazzed. He did what he could to react. But it just, it basically flopped over his stick. And it made me realize, you know, why coaches say, put your stick on the ice. Keep your stick on the ice. And it's because your your body's natural instinct when you're reacting to something that's moving very quickly is to clench. And so when you clench, you're you're naturally drawing your stick up off the ice, regardless of where its starting point is. And you can't really fight that instinct. That's a very hard thing to, to block out in your mind before it even happens. So if your stick is off the ice when you start that motion and the puck is on the ice coming at you, you're not only traveling away from that, from the point where you want your stick to be, but you're also having to now stop all the, all that momentum that you've generated, reverse it, come back on the distance that you've left from your starting point, and then start moving toward the puck at the ice. So if you start on the ice and then you clench up because it's your body's natural reaction, you just have to put your stick back down essentially. And so you save all that time. And Ovechkin was just, you know, Stand, I don't know. I don't know how you can stand six six and a half feet from a from a net with your stick at waist level if you're on offense. And so yeah. you know your blunder goal that you mentioned in that that uh, flopped chance because I I'm pretty sure that would have tied it up. 
because he was right there. And Ovechkin, I don't think, would have missed if his stick was was in the right place at the right time. So that could have tied up the game. Who knows what that could have done to momentum. It's Ovi, so he's going to do something hard and fast after the fact. And I'm pretty sure it was the last game of the series. So it also would have been at home, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to point out, too. Yeah, I think that that was uh, game four, as you mentioned. Uh, okay, my bad. It would have made the the game. I think it would have made the series even going into Washington for game five. Um, I remember texting you, and I think it was game uh, four as well, where I was just telling you, I said, Ovi's shot isn't there. Every time the Capitals went on the power play, every time, the Bruins knew how to play it. And they would just put an extra guy. It was mainly Carlo, Brandon Carlo. Uh, and what the guy would do is he'd, he'd cheat to the right side, the side that uh, Ovi's typically on. Um, and he would just be a shot blocker for Ovechkin's shot. And he did a hell of a, he did a tremendous job with it. And the funny thing was, is as soon as I texted you, the shot isn't there. Well, lo and behold, I think Carlo was either late to blocking his shot or uh, it was that the broken off. stick one. That was the one where he shot the puck, but it deflected off of something and it Someone goes... kicked it in. One of the defensemen, I think, accidentally yeah. kicked it in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was like, okay, well, of course, as soon as I mentioned that the shot's not there, of course it works. But it, that was a fluky goal. It's a greasy goal. It's not. Yeah, that one's goal. not based off his shot. That exactly. one's not going in because of his shot. You're right. right. That's that's not as typical. He puts it top shelf, left side, as close as you could get to the corner of the net because he places it perfectly. And um, Backstrom, you know, those guys weren't really Backstrom, Wilson, Oshi. You know, some of these guys weren't really showing up. And Wilson, you know, honestly, I'll, I I think. I'll end it. I'll end the series on this note. I think the reason why they went out so quickly is because Wilson just didn't have that X factor that he normally was. He was not in the play. He wasn't really rowdy like he usually is, like in yeah. the game against uh, the Rangers, where you know he goes after <laughs> Panarin, punched Buchnevich on the ice. He wasn't that Wilson, and I think it it came to bite them because, quite frankly, I think that they get riled up when he plays like that, and because he wasn't. They just they also weren't invested in it because of that. Yeah, they can channel a lot of emotion and a lot of energy from from a game when he's, um, you know, really causing all that havoc that he typically causes. I agree. He was a little, you know, especially for the end, the way the season ended, you know, with all his uh, his New York Rangers fiasco. I agree. He was a little bit unseen out there. I think he had a few goals, especially early in the series. But yeah, definitely not that five million dollar price tag Tom Wilson that you're paying for each year. I would, I would argue. Yeah. Oh, and uh, also before we move on, I'll just say uh, you mentioned the five million dollars he got in his contract. That was the year they won the cup, and guess what? Because they signed that contract, yeah. they didn't re-sign Barry Trotz. They had to let him walk. And let me tell you, I think Caps fans are also looking at that and going, son of a bitch, why did we let that guy walk? Uh, yeah, that that will go down. I don't think it's too bad right now from a PR standpoint. But at least in my opinion, that is one of the that has got to be one of the worst 
you know, uh, I guess tactical decisions or cap friendly decisions. I think a team has ever made, um, at least just standing where we are today for the playoffs, it certainly is is a poor decision because Trotz has gone on, what is this, his fifth playoff series since since that cup? Um, uh, let me see. He, he won in 2019. 18. Uh, the Islanders. Well, I mean, like, you know, a few Oh, oh okay. Few I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So as he left the Capitals, he swept the Penguins in 2019. Uh, they won. Were they, yeah, they were in a qualifying round. I don't know if I would count that. To me, it's like a wild card series, but I would count it as a playoff series. Um, so he won the qualifying round against the Panthers. Then they beat the. Oh man, who they beat? I'm forgetting. Uh, bottom line, though, he's had playoff success. He's yeah. he's around in the playoffs. He's relevant. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you win a championship. And the decision hits the table to pay Tom Wilson or pay Barry Trotz. And maybe we're shorthanding this a little too much. Maybe this is maybe we're just making it an easier decision than it needed there than than we knew. But I mean, (laughs) judging from what you know came about, I would argue that (laughs) I don't know how you just I, I I from the beginning don't know how you justify paying Tom Wilson that much money period no matter what coach's job is on the table i just think five million dollars for that guy is a pretty steep price um but the capitals obviously uh, felt otherwise and you know hindsight 2020 is was that decision a good one uh, if you could go back to that point in time capitals fans would you still give that money to tom wilson or would you like to see you know what Barry Trotz gets you on a rate of around your uh, on your ROI. Yeah, and and speaking of a lack of uh, physicality from Tom Wilson, going into the uh, Central Division with the um, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Predators, that's been a series that has not had its lack of physicality, and uh, it's been a hell of a series to watch. It's game six tonight in Nashville, and uh, that, that is going to be quite the game to watch. Um, I told you when the uh, Predators tied the series at two, I said this, is, this just to me feels like a series where the home team's going to win each game um, because I think it's almost impossible for some of these teams to win on the road. Like, you know, Carolina wins both games at home and then they're going into Nashville where if they just win one out of those two games, they could go back to game five with either a three to one series lead. And uh, it would look really good for you guys. Um, but now we're heading into a situation where it's going to game six to tie it up and force a game seven tonight. And honestly, this is going to be like must watch hockey because it's an elimination game and it's in Nashville and, you know, the crowd is going to be buzzing and, and this is going to be quite a hell of a, a, a series. Yeah, definitely, man. This the, this series has had no shortage of physical play, of uh, just clinical hockey, and just absolute resiliency from a goaltender, man. Uh, if you ask me, this is the Carolina Hurricanes versus UC Soros. Um if, if not for Soros, I think this series is over with. I don't even know if this series returns to Carolina because 
watching both game three and four, Carolina was dominating every single second. And even game five was was similar. But Nashville, you know, I give credit to Nashville. They're really riding their goalie who's playing out of his mind um, in front of him. They're playing Carolina pretty well. They're really clogging things down. God, Pierre couldn't shut up about it last night. But um, one thing Nashville was doing was they were just getting uh, play stops a lot, which I never really noticed. Uh, I will give Pierre some credit. I never really noticed that that was a, a part of our play style, but we are a team that typically likes likes to play with limited um, whistles, despite how good we are in the faceoff. And uh, and last night, Nashville was was not afraid to just be dumping pucks for icings, dumping pucks into the bench, um, just getting tied up for, for whatever reason. When they get into the lead, they really try and play the lead. And they did it pretty well in game three and four, um, but we didn't let them get completely away with it. We did tie it up both games. It's just unfortunately... Soros owned, you know, all four of those overtime periods in game three and four. And, and you know, in part, the crowd, uh, the fans in Nashville, too, have really given them a lot of steam at home. And so they kind of hung on and won two games. Um, but if you watch them, you know, from start to finish, the scoreboard is not indicative at all. I mean, just look at the, the shots on goal comparison in game four. It was like 62 to 41 or something like that. And a lot of Nashville's shots didn't come until late in the game. Yeah. So, so I, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I remember telling you, previewing this series in the first episode, this was going to be a goaltender's um, series. It, it was basically going to be, you know, if you're a goaltender and you want to watch some good goaltending, Watch this series because Nedeljkovic on uh, the Hurricanes and Saros on the uh, Predators are two really dominant goalies, and you're seeing it play out. I know lately um, Nedeljkovic has not had very high shot totals, and I think that's also um, you mentioned the uh, the trying to stop the play and getting as many whistles to kind of slow down the Hurricanes' momentum. I think also as well the Nashville Predators are not creating chaos in front of Nedeljkovic or not making him see as many shots uh, because I think that's part of their game plan. Um, you mentioned, I think, last week that he normally plays really well when it's chaotic because he's just a very calm guy through all the chaos. And when he's only facing 20 shots, 25 shots, you know, anywhere below the 30s, you know, it, it's not chaotic and it, it kind of disrupts the way he plays. So I think that, too, has also played into this series, and it showed in both games three and four, and even in five, where it was like, um, you know, I think you guys were down a goal in the third period, and it was like uh, getting to the, the area where you're like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if Carolina's going to tie it, but, you know, you eventually did, and you got a goal from, from Jordan Stahl. Yeah. But I think that, too, has really played into it as well. Uh, Nate, just, Nate just tied it up. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, no doubt, dude. It, it, it is, it is, um, I mean, I tell you what, as a, as a Carolina Hurricanes fan, it's, I'm really sweating these games out a lot. And, uh, um, yeah, Nashville is, is, you're right. They're not just, you know, avoiding, uh, consistent playtime with us. They are also taking limited shots. And, uh, those overtime periods are so indicative of it. You, you watch those overtime periods and you watch Carolina 
cycle and dance and make line changes over the course of, you know, three, four minutes in their offensive zone. And then they let one puck trickle out and it's a two on one and that's it game over. And it's like, guys, <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing? Why? What's with the lackluster? And you, you know what? It might just be the goalie. It might just be Nedeljkovic getting cold. There's been some really fluky goals that have gone in. So Nashville has really, really managed to hang around in this series, I think. Um, it, and that's, in my eyes, if you want to go, you can go. I was just going to say, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's aggravating to watch as a Hurricanes fan, but it is really, it's a really good hockey series because it is a, an absolute Goliath of a team going up against uh, a team that, you know, just snuck into the playoffs in the last two games of this or the last three games of the season. So, um, you know, I'll give I'll give Nashville the credit. They're really finding a way to get things done with Carolina. Um, Carolina managed to get out last night or two nights ago with a win. But yeah, to your to your point, Nick, I was starting to get pretty worried there in the third period. I'm glad Nate just decided to end up. I'm glad he ended up tying it up. But yeah, it, it was getting worrisome there for me, especially at home there. You, you definitely want to get that game five win at home. Um, and I do think this one very much will be determined by uh, the home ice. I'm really hoping Carolina can pull it out if it comes back to game seven. Yeah, if they force a game seven, it's, it's, I, I think that Carolina would have it in the bag. You guys just seem to like seven game series lately. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I was just you know what say, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And but, you know, as fans, it's fun to watch. You're right. I, I'm glad that the Preds have kind of stuck it to you guys in the sense that, you know, they're they're not going to go down without a fight yeah. because it could give us finally the first seven game series we've seen. And um, the one thing I'll just say is, uh, you know, you mentioned Nadalkovich giving up a lot of fluky goals. I totally get it. But um, I was critical of either pulling him or starting Mrazek just because I know Mrazek has had a phenomenal season. Um, but with his injury and just um, the, the lack of starts, um, I just feel like Nedeljkovic has gotten into a rhythm to where he's getting used to starting, he's getting used to playing, and breaking that to put in Mrazek, who's, I wouldn't say a question mark, but you know, you're, you're, you'd be putting Mrazek in a really, yeah, you'd be putting him in cold. And I don't know if that would be good um, for either Nedeljkovic or Mrazek, or even for the team for that matter. If, you know, the Predators, let's say, force a game six after somewhat of a bad performance by Nedeljkovic, mm -hmm. we see, you know, him giving up two goals on 25 shots or two goals on 22 shots or even three. Um, I just think that that would kind of, I don't know. I don't know if that would sit well with the team. I hear you. Yeah. And when I, you know, Nick's referring to a text exchange that we had during uh, game five the other night. And after the second goal, which I went back and checked, it was two goals on six shots, too. And so that second goal happened, and I texted Nick to pull the goalie. Um, but to clarify, I did say if it gets to three goals or more and they lose, you got to start Mrazic in game six. And it was getting to that point when we were texting that. But thankfully, you know, they obviously pulled that back and won it. And yeah, there is some merit to that uh, in the f sense that you do have a goalie who's going through the motions, who's in his routine. 
And definitely after this last game, specifically the point in time when we were texting about this, Nedeljkovic had settled down. He did get himself past it, and he shut him out from that point on. So, yeah, you know, credit to Nedeljkovic, man. The kid is uh, – it's going to be an exciting future with him. It really will be because um, I think Mrazek and Reimer are both UFAs after this season. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what you do with them. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to game six tonight. It should be a really good game. Moving on to the other uh, central series. It was uh, Florida and the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Lightning eliminated the Panthers last night in six games. Um, I did watch, I think, the first period and the second period. Um, but when the third period came around, I was just like, yep. It's similar to uh, what I said about the the Islanders and the Penguins game. When Once that third period started, you know, all the momentum was on New York side, just like it was in Tampa. And, you know, Florida throughout this series didn't really struggle against Vasilevsky. Um, it was more so their own goaltending. And when they went to game five and they played Spencer Knight, and he only gave up one goal on maybe 34, 33 shots. I was like, here you go. You got a goaltender finally. You just need scoring. And they got it. I think they won that game 4-1. to um, So going into game six, I was thinking, just get scoring. You got Spencer Knight behind you. Just make sure you, make sure you get a good start. And I remember looking back in my notes. Uh, I think it was game five because game five, I think their first shot went in on Spencer Knight. And I wrote down the Florida Panthers throughout this whole series could not get a good start. They couldn't get the first goal. They couldn't either, and you know, not giving up a first goal or getting the first goal. They couldn't just end the first period tied zero, zero, you know, they could not start games well. And it hurt them in this series because um, Tampa, again, get, gets the first goal earlier, and you're just thinking you don't want to be behind against I was teams. just going to say that, man. And not only was it not only was it a, an issue of them not getting the first goal, but it was always, always them letting one off so early. I, I remember – I don't think I ever really watched those games right at the start. Um, they pretty much always coincided at the end of the first period of the game before them. So I always almost started those games two to five minutes in. But I also almost always started those games 1-1, 1-0, 2-0 kind of thing too, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, I know that my prediction was uh, Florida in seven. And like I said, when I saw Knight perform the way he did in game five, I thought, Oh man, if this team can finally rally, just get one good start in Tampa Bay and then force a game seven, I not only have the series right as far as numbers go or as far as games go, but possibly Florida winning it at home in a seven game series. And here's not a fun fact because I wouldn't call this a fun fact, but here's just a fact. They haven't won a playoff series since 1996. Wow, that's uh, yeah. what twenty five you know, years Holy for everyone crap. who for everyone who rags on the uh, not the Islanders for everyone who rags on the Leafs for not winning a playoff series since two thousand four. It seems like you know Florida gets a little pass each time because you know everyone likes to meme on on the Leafs. But in all seriousness, nineteen ninety six. To give yeah. you a reference, my brother Tim 
uh, was born in 1997, and I myself 1999. <laughs> we weren't even alive the last time they won a series. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I didn't know that fact, but uh, but yeah, that that's a good point to be made. It's it's too bad. It's it's too bad that they couldn't pull it together and for at least for like you said at least force game seven. Um, but they definitely went out there. They did, you know, Florida fans, they did exactly what I was calling for them to do. They were definitely having fun, especially in those two wins that they picked up. You know, you avoided the sweep. You also must mustered up two wins against Tampa. And that's no, um, that uh, some teams could consider that a feat in and of itself. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Florida it's tough. Uh, that goaltender issue, you know, the Canes have been going through that for the last year and a half. Our our situation is a little more steady currently, but I definitely know that um, headache of, of dealing with that presence. Um, another thing that's tough to watch is I think they need more scoring depth. They really focus everything through uh, Huberto and Barkov. And when those guys aren't on the ice, it's it's almost like you're not watching like there's just such a clear line between watching the first line for Florida and then watching everybody else, you know? No, I hear you. I would agree. Um, I thought that they got better depth wise. Um, Sam Bennett looked really good when he came. uh, Okay. Yeah. I completely forgot about Bennett. That's a good point. But even still, I mean, it just seemed like Bennett, uh, Carter Verhage also uh, honorable mention to him. He he had a really good series here True. against his former team, um, but even then, it it just seemed like those four guys weren't able to muster up the whole offense for the Florida Panthers and Duclair. Um, Duclair is just tough, man. That that's a guy who just struggles to seem just struggles to play no matter where he goes. Mm. Um, this is how many teams he's been on. He's been in Ottawa, Arizona, Columbus. He's been a handful of teams, and he's just hasn't found a home yet. And uh, I don't know what the Florida Panthers' plans with Duclair is, but I don't know. It's it's tough. This whole series he was playing, um, you see him on the first line with Huberto and Barkoff, and then you wouldn't see him for a little while. And then when you saw him back on the ice, he'd be on the fourth line with uh, Lomberg and you know some other bottom six forwards from from the Florida Panthers, and you know he was fluttering between the first and fourth line and he just couldn't find a solid home on a line and you know that that i think hurt the panthers in this series because you know you need consistency in the playoffs and when one player has to you know switch off a line i don't think people understand how much that disrupts the chemistry of each line uh, because your coach is basically telling you hey this guy's going to be on your line when you're normally used to two other guys on your wing and then you got so he slots in on your wing. Then they say, okay, forget him. We'll go on another line. So another guy goes back onto your wing. And it just, it creates too much fluttering for you to find consistent chemistry. And because they couldn't find consistent chemistry with Duclair, that's why I say, you know, what's his future with Florida? Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, I had a, I had a thought. I, I forgot it again, but yeah, no, it's, um, Florida's on their way. It's, it's, it's a really good trajectory for them. 
I gotta say, one thing I'm surprised about is I thought that there was gonna be a little more physicality in this series, especially with Cernak and uh, or Chernak and um, Sergachev, Hedman, Gu- yeah, Gudis. Yeah, I mean, I thought that the bodies were going to be thrown around in the first round, but uh, it seems like, you know, maybe the two Florida teams took a gentleman's agreement because um, maybe they want the other one to go have it easy first round so that the next round they can have that physicality. Who knows? But get pummels, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Moving on to the. the Honda West series um, to start off Colorado, St. Louis, it, it ended in a sweep. Um, last week we mentioned how St. Louis couldn't shut down that Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landis cog and Nico Ranton in line um, that continued through the four games. And it, it's, it's gotta be frustrating to be a blues fan right now because just two years ago, you won the Stanley cup. You did it with Bennington who was a rookie at the time. And, uh, you know, like I said, this was kind of his first full year as a regular season goalie. It was underwhelming. And now, um, him being in the playoffs, it's still underwhelming. Uh, if not more so, because I don't think he's won a game since 2019 or no, no, he's won a game. I think that, uh, I think they won in 2020 in the uh, qualifying rounds, or not the qualifying rounds. Yeah, I think they... Vancouver. Yeah. But uh, even still, I think he posted his overall save percentage in this series was an 899. And now the question in St. Louis is, do we need a new goaltender? You know, should we fire the coach? I mean, I was seeing a lot of, a lot of Blues fans react in the way that they want to fire Craig Peruby. Um, I don't know what else to add to this, you know, cause we kind of hit it last week. Um, cause I think last week when they played, that was game three. So yeah, we, there's not too much to add here. We hit it. And I don't think much changed about that series. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, they're right up there with Washington, man. They, they're, they're right there with them because they won the following year and then they fell off immediately after. So yeah, I mean, trouble in paradise for both those both those franchises. But you know, that also being said, Colorado is a bit of a powerhouse too. So, not the biggest slight that they that they couldn't you know figure out even how to win one against um, Colorado. But uh, it is it's definitely not the the St. Louis Blues that we're um, familiar with, especially just from a couple seasons ago. Yeah, and it's definitely been disappointing because it was nice to see a team like the Blues not only win their first um, cup in 2019, but also it was like a new face out of the the Western Conference. Yes. And it was just like, finally, like the West, you know, it's no longer Chicago. It wasn't L.A. It wasn't, um, you know, I know San Jose. It wasn't those big name Western Conference teams that you're normally used to hearing about. It was finally someone new. Um, and it just, it, it like you said, it's been trouble in paradise and it's been difficult to see them sort of play now. And yeah, to their credit, you know, they, they try to hang in there against Colorado, but you're right. They're just a powerhouse of a team and it's just really hard to play against them. And 
you know, a good segue into into that is the next Honda West series, which is now going to seven games. Um, man, oh man, this is uh, this is becoming troublesome with Vegas. It's it's basically this is a team that's failing to close out series. Um, they had a three one lead. The I'm most infamous, of it. Yeah. yeah, the most infamous three uh, one series lead they had was against the San Jose Sharks. They blew it and lost in seven games. That was in 2019, and that was the first round. And they were, I don't think they won their division that year. But this time they did. No, this time they didn't. Colorado did. But they're still a top team. You know, it's not like they've sunk down, and it's not like they've gone up. They've stayed where they at, and where they were at was pretty damn good. And they're struggling to close out the series against Minnesota, and I watched that game last night, and... Scoring is an issue. It, it, it's, it was an issue last year. I know that was the narrative, I think, against Dallas when they played Dallas and they lost against them. Um, it, that, was the, that was the issue back in that series, and it's still the issue now. And I know they don't have Pacioretty, but you would still think Stone, Marcia so, Smith, Tuck, all those guys would be awesome, producing while he's out. And they're just not. And they saw it in that. They got shut out last night again by Talbot. And now they're going home. Now they're going to game seven uh, at home. And I just heard that they've never won a, uh, an elimination game in um, at home in the fortress. Yeah, at home. They never won it. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's all going to come down to one game now. It's got to give Minnesota credit for hanging on. Uh, and you definitely gave them uh, the props at the beginning of the series. Um, it, it does. It's looking, I mean, that series, not quite the same mechanically, but it's turning out to look similar to the Carolina-Nashville series. It's a, you know, a, a lower skill, the lower underdog team sort of thing. And they're giving the big guy a pretty difficult time, uh, especially in the Minnesota-Vegas series. Uh, but yeah, that one's another goaltender slugfest. And, uh, you know, we give flurry all the props that he's got, but yeah, this, they're on alert for a third. I think this is the third straight year. They'll blow a three, one series lead if they lose in game seven. Oh, Uh, you're yeah, you're right. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did they have a three to one series lead against Dallas? Was that? I thought so. Let me look. No, I think you're actually right about that. No, no, it was Vancouver. It was Vancouver, but they ended up winning that series. They had a three to one series lead against Vancouver and game five and six game five is when Thatcher Demko made his um, postseason appear like postseason debut. And again, it was scoring was the issue. They couldn't find out a book on Demko, but that's, I wouldn't necessarily put that on Vegas. That's a brand new goal. You don't know where his weaknesses are. You don't know where to attack him. So, um, so in game six and seven of that series, they they struggled to score on him. But uh, game seven, they finally pulled through. But that's still technically blowing a three to one series lead because you you went to a game seven. Yeah, yeah. I just checked, and you were right. But yeah, that. Um... Oh, man, all eyes on them, dude. That would be one of the biggest. I think I think it would be a pretty big letdown just from Vegas's side. I don't think it would necessarily be like a massive upset, 
I just think it would be a pretty big letdown, a pretty big disappointment. It would be. This team is poised every year to to be a powerhouse in the, in the postseason, and we haven't seen it since their debut season. Um, 2019 was definitely a letdown, losing in the first round with a 3-1 to series lead, and you're possibly going to see that again just two years afterwards. So if Vegas doesn't pick it up here and change the narrative of, of closing out a series, then you know they might become the new Washington Capitals or the San Jose Sharks where they're a poised team every year but could never do anything. Um, yeah. and, now, and now speaking of teams, you know we go out to the uh, Canadian division now or the North division. Um, <laughs> I don't know what series to start with. But I, I think I'm going to save the best for last. So I'll start with Toronto and Montreal. Um, Montreal's struggled to score. It's kind of the same thing with Vegas. Uh, you know, Carey Price has been playing out of his mind. He's been playoff price. And it's exactly what Montreal needed. Um, but they needed not only a, a playoff price, but they needed some scoring too. And they're just not getting that um, this this series. Uh, which is definitely a letdown because I thought that this would be a series that would have a rivalry to it. It would have a lot of animosity to it, and it just hasn't gotten that. Um, Toronto is in Toronto tonight with a three to one series lead. And I know a lot of people like to say, uh, you know, Toronto doesn't do good with series leads or with playoff leads. But I, I think that they probably close it out tonight. I don't see a reason how Montreal comes back. Uh, and, and, and another disappointment I would say is, um, Kakeniemi, Kasperi Kakeniemi and um, Nick Suzuki last season when they played against uh, or when they were just playing in the playoffs in general, but specifically the, the um, Flyers series that they were in, a lot of people were saying like, okay, you're seeing the Nick Suzuki and the Kasperi Kakeniemi that you need to see. You know, they're, they're performing in the playoffs and they're scoring and they're getting a lot of chances. And, you know, everyone was like, if they continue that on and even get better, and they're taking a the next step in their, you know, uh, playoff performance levels, but they've taken a step back. And I think that that's been a huge issue uh, for them because in game one, Kasperi Kakanyemi was a healthy scratch. Yeah, that's, um, those are good points to be made. I think there's a little bit to be said about Campbell too. Um, he's definitely living up to the uh, hype that he created during the regular season. So credit to him. Uh, credit to the Maple Leafs, really, for for uh, staying firm after that game one loss, um, and at home even, and so good, you know, credit to them for shaking that off and not letting that get the best of them and turning out uh, the way that Edmonton did. But um, you're right; they're not they they don't need just goaltending. Or they don't need Price just to be on point during the playoffs this season. They need a a good amount more than that. And it does start with scoring, man. Um, I watched that third period the other night, and it's funny because that was the only period that I watched. And when I switched back to the Canes game, it was still intermission. And Liam McHugh and Keith Jones were talking, and Keith Jones gave uh, – or Liam McHugh made the comment – so you told the fans in the other game, you know, the Canadians game, not to watch the third because he doesn't expect Montreal to do anything or change anything. 
And he, uh, I mean, he was spot on with that prediction. And, you know, Liam McHugh offered him the, the opportunity to make a similar recommendation for the Canes game. And he said, no, to watch it, it's, it's going to be a good one. And I think we can take his recommendation for basically game five. Um, I'll be watching the scoreboard for that one. And if it looks interesting, I might pop over to it. But I don't expect um, Montreal to really bring a whole lot. They look like uh, they look like they're ready to pack it up. Um, yeah. they, they didn't do a whole lot in the third for game four. And that is a sign of uh, surrender, in my opinion. Yeah. And in game four, I, I watched the first period of game four, and that was when right off the bat, uh, I think Alex Kalchenyuk got a double minor for high-sticking Brendan Gallagher. So it's a four-minute power play. And uh, I'll just ask you, how many shots do you think they got on a four-minute power play? Trick question. Who's this? This was Montreal against Toronto. So Montreal's on the power play? Yep. How many shots? Just Did they even get one? They didn't even get any. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm in a NHL group chat. I, I bring it up because uh, in this specific situation, there's two Canadians fans in that group chat. And uh, when Toronto killed off that penalty, I went to the group chat and I just said, guys, what the hell happened? And they basically said, you know, nothing new here. We, we can't do anything on the power play. Our, tower, our power play is horrible. And, uh, you know, watching those games, you can definitely see that when Toronto goes on the penalty kill, it's not like they get chances like what um, Carolina was getting against the Predators. And I think game two, was it? Uh, forget which game, but you know, it's, it's not like they're getting their I think it was shorthanded chances, uh, but they're just not, they're not getting much of anything. And it's kind of embarrassing when you end a four minute power play in game four, this is, this could either make the series three to one, which, you know, did or two and two. It's a very pivotal game mm -hmm. and you didn't even get a shot on goal so i also mentioned to them uh ducharme which is their new head coach um i mentioned you know do you see him possibly getting fired or getting moved and they said that he's probably going to get fired or or at least somebody's going to be behind the bench and it won't be him and i i can't say i blame him yeah that's um yeah, wow, it's tricky. That's definitely a tricky situation in Montreal. Yeah. We'll see what they do tonight, man. But, uh, yeah, especially after what you just mentioned there, I'm not going to expect a whole lot of fight from the boys in red. Now, it's tough. But, you know, moving on, I will save this one for last because this is a series. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned how earlier. What was that? I said, this is the one. This is the one. This is the series that even hockey fans don't know about. <laughs> or even non-hockey fans I, know about, rather. Yeah. I will say this. I mentioned it with Pittsburgh. I'll mention it here. And I wanted to mention it when I brought up Pittsburgh. But I said, this needs its own separate section because we're reviewing the series. Um, gone are the days where you say, don't bet against Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. And, and if... And I mean this one more so than I mean when I said Crosby and Malkin. Because at least with Crosby and Malkin, you could say, oh, age is, is being a factor. Their play's coming down. They at least have an excuse. Um, and you might say, well, the Penguins have more depth, depth than the uh, Oilers. Um, that, to me, is not an excuse. Uh, because Crosby, 
in 2009, won a cup with this Penguins team, and he led them to a cup. He was the captain at the time. And McDavid, in this series, to me, not only didn't look captain-like, but just just didn't... I don't really know how to put it. He just didn't look like he was motivated. He didn't look like a goal scorer. Yeah. I mean, he the only goal he had, I think, was in game four. And that's a that's an elimination game, but it's like a little, it's like too little, too late, man. You know where were you? Um, you, I don't know if <laughs> I'm kind of hitting it hard on Connor McDavid, but I, it's not to say that I think he's overrated in the playoffs. Um, but I know I mentioned to you, um, I think after they got eliminated, and I mentioned it to some of my other friends too. I sent them a text that basically said, "You cannot tell me that Connor McDavid is better than Sidney Crosby." If you were to tell me you have you have one of these players to choose from to build around and you know um, and make a team out of them, I'm choosing Crosby 100%. I'm not even looking at Connor McDavid because if I'm being honest with you, in Game Three when they blew a four to one four to one lead, Connor McDavid on the oh man was it the oh on the third goal he turned the puck over and it tied the game at three. And then in overtime, he turned the puck over again. And I forget the defenseman, but the defenseman quickly passed it up to Connor, um, Kyle Connor, and he shoots and scores and ends the game. And it just seemed like nobody wanted to go after Connor McDavid. You know, everyone was like, oh, you know, let's leave him alone. You know, he's, he's a performer. And he's, he had, he was almost at a two point per game pace against the, uh, in the regular season. And it's like he's untouchable. You know, you can't suspend him. He's the best player in the league. And if you can't tell right now, I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not buying it, man. Like, I, I don't care if you're the best player in this league. Yeah, dude, it's, um, what is it? I'm trying to think of here. He, he, uh, he almost gives you that early Ovechkin vibe where it's like, if he's not scoring, he's not having a fun time. And if you're the captain and you, project that image to guys and i'm not saying he is because i don't i don't know for sure but if you're projecting that image where you're only concerned about the the stat sheet if that you're only concerned that you're scoring personally you're never going to win a stanley cup no matter what athlete you are because this isn't the nba where a guy can just chuck up you know 50 points in a night and seemingly will a team to to a win um, this is a game that is much more intricate than that. And one guy can stand out during the regular season and um, really light the lamp. But when they get into a series with someone in the postseason and, um, and the win and the loss category really, really matter now, it's not just the points uh, standings. Teams change. And I've, men- I've alluded to this and I've even mentioned it in the other episode but the playoffs are a completely different game. The playoffs in the NHL are are completely separate from the regular season, not just stats-wise, but just the way things play out. Um, if you put two teams to, to, against each other, seven different games in the regular season, you might end up with a 7-0 and team. But if you put those same two teams into a playoff series together at the end of the year, um, you could wa- you could watch the underdog walk away with a 4-0 lead. And we watched that unfold this year. 
So yeah, I, I agree with you. It's tough to be buying into that Connor McDavid stock right now, especially if you're a fan who wants to see your team win a championship. But I agree. It's a good. I'm glad you mentioned it at the beginning as well. Um, he is the captain, and I definitely had forgotten that throughout this series because you're right. He hasn't really been acting. I haven't really gotten that that uh, captain vibe vibe from him. I would say. No, his, his lack of leadership. And I don't mean to cut you off, but I really want to hammer it here. His lack of leadership in this series. I'm not gonna say costed the um, Oilers. But it's the reason why they didn't even win a single game. Um, when you are when you are going into the third period up three to one, and then you get early in the third period a, a four to one lead, and then you and then um, with about nine minutes eight fifty six left in the uh, in the third period of a must win hockey game, I, I a must win hockey game, and you know the Jets score okay. All right, now, okay, let's see what happens. Then they quickly score again. Now it's 4-2. And suddenly they got about eight minutes, seven minutes to, to score two goals. And then they score another one, 4-3. First of all, Dave Tippett, call a timeout, buddy. Okay, your team is clearly not ready. And then with Connor McDavid, during that timeout, gather the guys, you know, show some leadership. Because there are so many clips in this series where he's on the bench laughing when, the, when uh, a goal was scored against them. Uh, for example, in game four, this, the game they lost, when the Jets tied it at three due to an Ethan Bear turnover, um, they panned to him and he, he's on the bench laughing and he shook his head like, what the hell's going on? It's like, what's going on is your lack of leadership, you know, and, and you're just lack of character um, because you're, you're the captain of the Edmonton Oilers. And if you want to be in the same category as Crosby, you better start showing that because that guy has three cups. He's led teams to to championships and i don't like to play that card um you know i know tom brady's got what six championships and a lot of people are like oh he's the best quarterback i don't like to play that card seven he's got seven. Oh my gosh <laughs> but he's got seven you know i don't like to play the card where it's like you know oh this player's got more championships and he's a better player um but hey dude there's a certain value though in that and if and if people are listening to this i would suggest watching the last dance the documentary about Michael Jordan. Um, it gives a really good behind the scenes look at elite athletes like Michael Jordan, like Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, you know, guys that you always throw into the conversation of the greatest athlete of all time. Um, and there's this, there's a certain, um, immeasurable value that you can put on a guy like Tom Brady, like Michael Jordan, um, who can, I'm telling you, Nick, watch, watch this documentary with Michael Jordan. I mean, he, he just dragged teams. He pushed, he drove everybody to their limits. He challenged every single guy that he played with. And a lot of people gave him the beef, you know, growing up, the, as a kid, you always hear whenever you bring up Michael Jordan, you always hear that he was a vicious guy to play with. He was a, a, a bad, not a bad teammate, but he was a difficult teammate to play with, to practice with. But it's because he's a guy that just has that fuel, has that hunger to win championship after championship. And if you're an athlete who has that talent to, 
to not only just just statistic wise and ability wise, the McDavid's, the Jordans, the Crosby's, the Gretzky's, um, the Brady's. If you just have that talent, that's one piece of the puzzle. But if you have that mentality beyond it to win at all costs, like Brady does, like Michael Jordan did, you will do it repeatedly in your career. And when we were gearing up for this past Super Bowl and everybody was asking me, you know, who was going to win it, who was going to win it. It was just days after I had finished this documentary about Michael Jordan. And I, I was convinced that Tom Brady was going to win it. I said, Tom Brady is going to do whatever he needs and his guys are going to listen to him because he's been challenging them all season long and he's been down their backs and he's been on their ass and they've hated him at times, I'm sure. But at the end of the season, when the when you're walking into a championship game, you can appreciate that and you can get behind a guy like that and you'll do, you know, Trocek has said that he'll run through a wall for Rod Brendamore. And, you know, you can take that similar message and extrapolate that to your captain, too. I'm sure Trocek would say the same thing about Jordan Stahl. But if you went around the Edmonton locker room, I agree. Could you say the same? Could could those guys yeah. say the same thing about McDavid? And the other point that you brought up that I thought was really good is you're right. There were a lot of clips of McDavid on the bench by himself in his own world reacting to you know the end of the game, uh, either the overtime game winner or whatever goal was happening at the point at that point in time. And when that player has a C next to their or on their um, uh, shoulder, there, that's not a good image. And and I can't imagine what it might be like to be a player in that climate. Well, well, let me give you this scenario, right? So Ethan Bear he coughs up the puck, bad turnover, and it leads to the Jets tying the game in Game Four in a must-win game. You know, now you're down in the series 0-3. If I'm Connor McDavid. I'll give you two perspectives. If I'm Connor McDavid, I'm the captain. I'm getting my ass right up off the bench. I'm walking down to Ethan Barron. I'm saying, hey, man, that's not on you. You know, okay, you coughed up the puck. That's fine. We're going to win this game for you. You know, we're going to make it so that way you don't feel guilty that you just costed us the game. Possibly, right? Because, you know, short-term memory. You're creating that short-term memory. You say, forget about all that. Forget about that. You know, okay, you coughed up the puck. It happened. Now we're going to win for you. So that way, you know, that's off. Instead, what we got is Connor McDavid laughs, looks, you know, onward and shrugs. Now you're Ethan Bear. Well, well, you know, behind closed doors, maybe you could say, oh, well, maybe Connor McDavid went up to Ethan Bear. No, you are. The camera is always going to be on you. You're the best damn player in this league. But you also need to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For the entire league. (laughs) Yeah. And you also need to show that you're the best captain or not maybe the best captain, but a better captain. I mean. At least because if you're Ethan Bear, you're thinking, you know, who's going to step up for me? Who's going to have my back? And you see Connor McDavid laugh because you just gave up the puck and tied, you know, and made the Jets tie the game. Uh, I mean, if I'm Ethan Bear, I, I would be absolutely frustrated with Connor McDavid, you know, because like I said, maybe he had his back in, in the in the locker room. But you need to do that immediately. I mean, how many times have we seen Crosby, you know, go up to somebody and and, you know, say, uh, hey, you know, I'm sorry that that, you know, sorry you just caught the puck or, you know, whatever the case may be. You could see him, you know, dialogue with the players. Um, I remember when uh, uh, Marty St. Louis um, 
mother's past mother passed away on uh, Mother's Day before the game. They they showed him going right up to uh, Marty St. Louis and, you know, obviously extending extending his condolences and saying, I'm really sorry. Um, And then, you know, it's like that that sort of attitude, that sort of um, persona is what you want to give off as a captain. And you just didn't see that with Connor McDavid. Well, I'm really hammering this point, but, you know, yeah. No, it's fair. And you know what? To, to McDavid's uh, credit, the guy did roll into the league at a very, very young age. He's He's got a lot of maturing to do. The guy is a talent beyond belief, and um, he's just having those immature playoff struggles right now. And and hopefully this is a learning process for him. I, I would assume it is. He's He's a very gifted athlete. I can't imagine he wants to be doing what he did this season, time in and time out for his career. So I expect changes. I, I expect his attitude to shift. It, it, it did for Ovi, and look what, look what it gave him. It gave him a ring. So I assume, uh, McDavid is a smart guy. He's a gifted athlete. Um, he's going to want a ring before he walks away from this league, and uh, I think he'll come around eventually. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Um, tonight's games, you have game five with uh, Montreal and, and Toronto. That'll be on CIA, uh, NSNBC, and that'll be a 7 o'clock start. And then following that game, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Nashville Predators play at 9.30. Um, that'll be in Nashville, and that is game six. That's it for today's games, and that's also it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed. Um, and then also, before I go, you mentioned the uh, the – the last dance with uh, Jordan. I just heard the other day that they're looking to do one with uh, Jeter and it's going to be the same exact producers. Really? Yeah. Which is funny. I, you brought it up. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I just heard that they were going to do one similarly with uh, Jeter. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I'm actually kind of excited about that. Cause yeah, that should be, a really- I was, for those of you that knew me growing up, I was so into baseball <laughs> when I was younger and it was, in large due to Derek Jeter. So, no, that's an interesting point to bring up. That's uh, I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for that. I bet, I hope, does that mean they're going to do this for Gretzky or or uh, or, or something? <laughs> They'd have to do it with Gretzky. I mean. Yeah. I imagine they would. It's it's owned by ESPN. Or no, it's, is it a Netflix thing? Or is it ESPN? I wanted to say it's ESPN, but it wasn't their 30 for 30. It was like a right. their own yeah. documentary. I got to figure if it's ESPN, they'll probably do something for the NHL considering that contract they just signed. Well, but if it's Netflix, who knows? Yeah. I mean, you have to do one on Gretzky. I would argue he's probably the best athlete any sport has ever seen just how, with how dominant he was. Yeah, that's a, that, there's an there's a episode idea for, for, yeah. for the offseason. <laughs> yeah. But uh, enough chit chat. I think we're going to end it here. Yep. Uh, it's been great talking, and uh, you know we hope we enjoy this episode. Um, obviously, I by the time, ne- by this time next week, the uh, first round will be over. So we'll be getting into the round two series and previewing some of those series. Um, but until then, you know, thanks for wa- thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed. Thanks, everyone.